1: Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and today we have a very fun show. We've got our NFL experts, we got Nora who's back Nora's uh, becoming a regular here on our friday shows and we also have benjamin solak aka our guy to break down everything that's happening uh in the nfl streets he's doing a great job out there uh check out all of his work so we're going to get into it right now first we got nora and then we're going to have her debunk a few things in the nfl and then we're going to have ben come on the back end and debunk why the bears are not a good football team in fact actually he's going to prove that true so let's do it right now let's get to nora Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host Tate Frazier, and guess who's back? It's Nora. Nora, it's great to see you. How are you?
2: It's so great to see you too, Tate. I'm I'm doing very well.
1: I feel like we're getting in a regular routine here. This is uh, we bring you on. Uh, I throw some narratives at you. I throw some big picture topics, but first and foremost, I throw the Ringer power rankings back at you. And last week. <laughs> You pointed out I was a little frustrated. I didn't understand how the Kansas City Chiefs were number one, even though they were 0-1. I had a little bit of an attitude, and you were right to call me out.
2: (laughs) I just wanted to know what was going on there. But we do have a new number one team, which I'm sure made you very happy.
1: I was very happy. I told you this. I was just smiling to myself, looking at my iPad, reading the power rankings, just like – just proud, you know, there was a sense of pride that just kind of washed over me. And uh, in case you missed it, I have the top five right now for the Ringer in the NFL. Number one, we have the Cowboys, obviously, at 2-0. and o. we got the 49ers uh, at number two. The Chiefs, uh, who are 1-1, one one, people forget this, at number three. The Eagles, 2-0 at number four. And the Dolphins, 2-0 uh, also at number five. So, first and foremost, Nora, I just want to get your reaction to that top five. Do you feel good about it? Do you think that's the right top five? Because I think it is. I feel good about it.
2: Yeah, I do think it's the, it's the right top 5. Uh maybe we'll get to this. I don't know that it would be my order, but it would pre- mm. it would be it was in fact my top 5.
1: Yeah, right. So what what would your order be then? Uh, I have to ask uh, as I think about it. What who do you think should be moved up or bumped down?
2: You know, I think that I think Miami's getting the short shrift in this. Mm. I'm let's see where I ranked them. It's bad that I don't remember, but I'm going to pull it up for you right now. I just think the way that they have played through two weeks makes them a pretty clear Super Bowl contender to me. I know they got sh- – shut down is not the right the right terminology to use, but the Patriots defense did a mixed job on them but limited some of the explosives. But I ended up – I went back and looked at that game a little bit more, and I was just so impressed with how they took what was there – got the ball out really fast. Bellatope Very disciplined. Doing, yeah, right. really disciplined. They can run the ball, they can win in different ways. And I think that defense hasn't reached a ceiling that I think it can get to. I think Big Fangio is going to find some ways to have that group just being a little bit more of a difference maker when they coalesce as the season goes on. So I I'd put them ahead of Philly, I think. Ooh. And I'm Man, I'm 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 really flirting with demoting Kansas city to the number two team in the AFC. I I really like, that's what's in my heart. I really want to do that.
1: I like it and uh, I kind of feel the same way the Miami Dolphins have impressed me they opened the season number eight on the power rankings they bumped up to number five and now we look at them and uh, we're wondering could they get as high as number one and you know let's talk about Tua just in general I mean how much faith do we have in Tua this year because you know Bill Belichick is the guy who's going to you know come up with this scheme that's going to take him out of his game but like you said he took what they gave him he played solid he got a nice win and it looks like Tua's kind of in control and uh, the Miami Dolphins fans have my life are very excited right now about their team
2: two is playing some some professional adult quarterback He's <laughs> right. on. like I'm so curious and I'm just crossing my fingers with the health stuff right because that's a separate conversation and hopefully we will never need to have it but the stuff about how much he's coddled and supported in this offense I think he's doing everything within his power to prove all of that wrong I mean, mm. he is always going to benefit from Mike McDaniel's scheme. He is always going to benefit from being able to throw to Tyree Hill and Jalen Waddell. But he is going through his reads. He is making smart decisions. He is being decisive with the ball. And he's a difference maker for them right now. He's not like he's not the whole ship, right? He's not he's never going to be what the Bengals want Joe Burrow to be. He's never going to be what the Chiefs want Mahomes to be. That's just not that's not his role in the team that they've built around him. But he is elevating them right now and it's funny because I first noticed it when all of the weird stuff with Ryan Clark kind of insulting him um insulting his his fitness during the offseason happened and then I'm 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 trying to think of what the other examples have been since then as, as the season has started, but Tua's a little sassy. Yeah, he's days. like
1: stayed enough for himself. You know what I mean? He's, he's like, really, if you say yeah, something about me, like, you're gonna have to hear about. Heard enough
2: of it, and he's done <laughs> yeah. with all of us throwing shade. Yes. <laughs> I I really I like that for him. Just I because, like fed up Tua. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like a fed up Tua because some of the questions are never gonna go away, right? Like he's never he's always gonna have the head trauma history that at this point he has, he is never going to be that much bigger and stockier and more physically able to take the punishment of football. And he is also, I mean, hopefully never, but at least for the time being, he is never going to be in a football situation with this era of the dolphins offense where there aren't bigger stars around him. So he's sort of just not going to get the benefit of the doubt. And if you're not going to do that, like, have this little heel turn. Tell everybody Mm. that you're so excited to stick it to your doubters. Like I am I'm into it.
1: I love a message to the haters, especially from Tua. I have to ask you this, uh, which undefeated team is a phony. We got a lot of undefeated teams right now. Two and O guys are, you know, spirits are high. Everyone's getting excited. And why is that team from the NFC South? We have three teams (laughs) in the NFC South right now that are two and O, which, which one is the phony.
2: Oh man. I mean, yeah, the the NFC South is absolutely the first place you go for that. I, I think it's the Bucks. I okay. mean,
1: you're not a believer in Baker.
2: I'm. I'm not really shaken in bacon quite yet. Uh, <laughs> they beat a Vikings team that turned the ball over three times and a Bears team that is a total disaster, a total dumpster fire of a disaster. Quite possibly, I didn't think anyone would challenge the Cardinals for worst team in the league, but the Bears are making a run for their money. Uh, so I'd like to see a little bit more from, from the Bucks before I say that this record is legit. Although someone's got to win the NFC South.
1: Someone's got to win. Right. Exactly. And everyone seems to be high on the Falcons. That seems like the de facto pick. I don't know what's happening in new Orleans, right? I mean, there seems like there's some Derek Carr belief and and they've got things rolling, but again, they beat the Panthers on Monday night. How much, you know, stock can you put into that win? They only win by three. The NFC South, I think it might be more than one phony there, but we'll leave it at that. Let's talk about the 0-2 teams. We've done the 2-0 and 0 teams. Which 0-2 team do you think should be panicking right now? We have the Patriots in the mix, Vikings, Chargers, Bengals, I mean, Broncos, right? There's a lot of 0-2 teams that thought they may have a great year. Which one do you think should be panicking the most?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's the Bengals mm. for one because that's a team that came into the season with clear Super Bowl aspirations and they are one of the teams that we've seen most recently actually be able to come back from an 0-2 start. So on the one hand, they've done this before. They have recovered from slow starts before. But the Joe Burrow-Calf situation is, I think, looking pretty bleak. we got to remember, okay, he just re-aggravated it towards the end of their last game, and... I don't know what the doctors are telling him. I don't know what the actual severity of that is, but they're already talking about holding him out um, or that he might not be able to play in, in on week three yep. and that that's not clear. And we're talking about an injury that when he initially went down with it in the preseason or, or during training camp, it was like a month plus before he got back on the field. So if this is similar to that, we're looking at a chunk of the season and I just think that they, there's nothing that they can do about this, right? This is, you know, the champagne problems of having an elite quarterback like Joe Burrow, but there is really not a lot that the Bengals can do if he's not himself. I think his athleticism and his scrambling ability is an underrated facet of his game. And if he doesn't have it, It's going to limit what they're able to do offensively. And if he's not able to play superhero ball, they don't have a running game that they can fall back on. They don't have the type of receivers where, oh, you know, it's okay. Let's just try to paper cut teams to death and we'll dink and dunk our way down the field. They kind of had that going for two drives last Sunday in the second half of the game. And it looked like something – that they could maybe try to get by with until Burrow's healthy. But he got in a third down situation, had to scramble, and that's when he re-aggravated the calf. So I I, I just don't think that this team has anything that they can rely on while he's recovering. And I think with the way that the Ravens are looking, they're not going to have the luxury of being able to kind of take another month off or – be up and down while he's dealing with that injury through the bulk of the season and then come on strong peak at the right time. I just don't, I don't think they're going to have that luxury in the AFC. And I don't think that they're going to have that luxury when they're fighting tooth and nail with a Baltimore team that I've been really impressed by. And, and that looks like it's got the Todd Munkin experiment with Lamar Jackson working really quickly. So I think you've got to panic if you come into the, come into the season being like, this could really be our year And Mm. already I can see them fighting for a wild card spot, but I think that has become kind of the, the, the stakes of the season.
1: Yeah. I do think if, uh, if Joe Burrow is not a hundred percent, you just want to sit him out on Monday and try to hope that you can take, And give him some rest because it did feel like when he hurt his calf in the preseason he was pressing to get there for week one had a slow start last year as well so we've seen slow starts before from Joe Burrow but the injury adds a whole nother factor into this so there's a lot of conversations to be had with Cincinnati we're gonna take a quick break and then when we come back we're gonna break down week three with Nora circle some of the best games of the weekend and uh, have some more fun talking about the NFL Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I am still here with Nora, and we're talking about NFL Week 3, and I'll ask you a simple question, Nora. Which game do you have circled this week? What is the game that you say, this is must-see TV, I have to watch this game?
2: You know, the one that I'm really curious about is Colts-Ravens. I don't know Mm. if that's the marquee, like, (laughs) name-and-lights matchup, but I'm really fascinated to see what this Ravens offense looks like against the Colts defense. That defensive front in Indianapolis, I think has been pretty – pretty impressive and it's going to be an interesting test for how Baltimore how quickly they're able to get the tires on the road in what they're trying to do with this offense Lamar right now it's it's been really impressive he's got one of the lowest times to throw among starting quarterbacks and he's also throwing the ball deep which is mm-hmm. like that is some peak Tom Brady stuff there is when you're getting the ball out really quickly, but you're still throwing it far downfield. And I just want to see it against a really good defensive line um, because I think they dealt with a unit that was getting a ton of pressure in, in week one in Houston, and it did, it did disrupt them a little bit, and Lamar didn't look quite so good, especially early on in that game. So I just think that this is going to be a really good kind of heat check on okay maybe that was D'Amico schemed him up really nice and it was the first week of the season and you're still getting your feet under you let's check it again in week three let's see if it Mm. keeps looking like this uh because if it does I'm I'm ready to like bang the gavel and kind of kind of go this is working this is working really well it's working better even than maybe we thought it would uh and if that's the case Baltimore is dealing with a bunch of health stuff, but they should have a really exciting season outlook.
1: And they're another team in the AFC that you, you were talking about who can dethrone the Super Bowl champs in the AFC, right? The Dolphins are a conversation. The Ravens could be in that conversation as well. A couple other games I wanted to flag, Chargers-Vikings, right? We're trying to figure out who's going to go to 0-3. That game has some serious implications as far as uh, who could be on the hot seat, uh, which leads me to my next question for you, Nora. Who's number one on the hot seat right now, you think, in the NFL?
2: Oh, man, the, the Staley-Eberflus cage match. Um, it's one of those two, certainly. Right. I think we have reached the end of the line of Brandon Staley. I I'm going to choose that one just because I think it's more notable because the team has had more success than, than the bears have had. They're going to clean house in Chicago. I just, it's just going terribly, but let's talk about the chargers. I'm bummed about this. I think Brandon Staley is an interesting guy. He seems nice. He seems like players like him. I think it's nice to see people who have different backgrounds have success in the league. But I can't sit here and tell you where his mark is on this Chargers team in a way that's positive. He's a a good defensive game planner in certain spots. We've seen him do a really good job. I'm thinking of last year's Dolphins game. That was a really brilliant defensive game plan, but he does not consistently have good defenses and they've had several off seasons. They've gone out and gotten talent. Sometimes those have been poor decisions. JC Jackson, obviously not working out the way that they'd hoped, but they've taken big swings on the personnel side. And I'm sure he has some input when those are defensive players, as many of them have been. So I don't think that you can totally put that all in Tom Telesco. And then the situational stuff is just a disaster.
1: It's bad. Yeah. It's been bad.
2: It's been bad. It's, I just don't know that he was ever prepared for the number of things you have to control from a sideline when you are an NFL head coach. I'm thinking of, I mean, there was the play against the Titans last week where he lets Tennessee, he calls timeout and lets Tennessee sub Derrick Henry back in. Mm Mm-hmm so that he can get his desired play call off you can't do that you don't want you can i know you want to call your perfect defense but it's better to have derrick henry be on the sidelines than for him to get a breather and come back into the game and it's better not
1: to help the other team typically you know what i mean that's usually just a rule of thumb
2: situationally aware (laughs) in that way anymore and part of it I mean, I'm sure you saw the the press conference after that Titans loss that was making the rounds where he just can't stop saying it's not about the Jacksonville game. We're not we're not still dwelling on the Jacksonville game. I mean, you can't say the Jacksonville game 15 separate times in a single sentence and not have me come away from that and be like, I think you're a little weird about the Jacksonville game, buddy. So it's unfortunate because. There's something there. There's a person there. I mean, look at what he did with that Rams defense when he was the coordinator there. There's some real talent there, and he came into the league as a head coach with really strong ideas about fourth-down decision-making, about being smart with analytics, about playing aggressive football, and he's just gone completely away from that. So he's not giving the team that edge anymore. I don't think you can say that they've gotten – Plus, defensive performances on the whole, based on having and and they
1: have defensive talent. I mean, if you just go across talent. the board, they're not. Yeah. I
2: mean, there's. This is not a perfect roster. It is a top-heavy roster, and some of the big-name free agents, i.e., like J.C. Jackson, we were talking about, have not worked out. But this is not a roster that doesn't have players that you should be able to get something. Out of. One
1: last thing before we go to break, Nor. I want to ask you which team right now is number one on the power rankings to get Caleb Williams. Who is tanking the hardest, and who really wants him? Arizona's in the mix. Chicago's now in the mix. The Patriots maybe in the mix. Who do you think is number one going after him?
2: So it's it's still the Cards. Although I think <laughs> we were joking on the the NFL show earlier today. They've been a little frisky couple of weeks they've managed right a big on the giants yeah yeah they've managed to keep the tank intact but um it's possible that jonathan gannon is executing a note perfect tank job and making mm-hmm. it just fun enough that the guys can buy in there's there's you know development of younger players but then they're it's a glimmer of finding... hope
1: that they might they, they may win a game right there there's they're looking well, like they the, might win the a couple concern. games
2: that's the concern that's what you don't want to see the trick is to be just encouraging enough that the team isn't mm. totally demoralized going into the next season <laughs> but you still preserve that winless record um i think they can do it i believe in them i believe in jonathan gannon i believe in the arizona cardinals uh that they can stay winless but the Bears are are definitely sniffing around it. That team just has absolutely no identity. Um, you know, the the defensive coordinator just resigned under very strange circumstances. Justin Fields made a bunch of headlines yesterday calling out the coaching, says he's thinking too much. He's got too much in his head. When he's going to the line of scrimmage, there's just absolutely nothing good coming out of there. Uh, everyone is coaching and playing and everythinging for their jobs, which definitely means that there's less incentive to tank, but I'm just not sure that the bears need it. Um, mm. I'll give you one, one sort of wild card dark horse. Cause those two teams like we expected to be bad. I'll give you one team that I don't think is, is near the bottoms of power. Most power rankings. Just keep an eye on the Vikings.
1: Yeah, right. I agree. If they lose to the Chargers, they're 0-3. Kirk Cousins is an unrestricted free agent. They might try to trade him, and they just go full tank mode, and they go against the Bears. It's a race to tank in the NFC North to see who's going to get Caleb Williams or Drake May or Quinn Ewers or whoever they talk themselves into. But I think the NFC North is a a great place to start when you look at the tank race. I like it.
2: It's a team with a young sort of modern inclination, analytically inclined, modern ideas about roster building, brain trust. And because of the Kirk of it all, because of his contract, they've never really been able to embrace that for the last couple of years, um the last couple of years of the Kevin O'Connell quasi-dofamensa regime there they've been unlucky. They're not a terrible team. They've just like all the good luck they had last year has reverted and they've lost six fumbles and they they're Mm -hmm. beating their opponents in terms of total yardage and EPA per play and blah, 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 blah. But they're just losing the games. Um, If that keeps happening, I know that there are guys there who are in charge who, who want to embrace it. They want to just be like, yes, this is our opportunity to get a super high pick. So I just, I wouldn't leave it out of the question.
1: I like it. I like it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have Nora debunk some of the most ridiculous stories around the NFL. I can't wait.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice,
1: All right, we're back here on Through the Ringer. Nora's still here, and Nora is going to help us out. Last week, you famously debunked the rumors about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people were appreciative of your efforts there to kind of map this out. Jason Kelsey went on his show. He said they are dating, that they've had some rendezvous together. And and we're all still shaking our heads because we said we know what Nora said and we believe. Uh, and the answer is no, um, it is not happening. But let's talk about a, a couple new uh, stories that are going around right now. Aaron Rodgers, uh, if oh you're keeping up with the story, he is uh, planning a miracle. He is uh, plotting and, and planting the seeds uh, of a miracle on the horizon coming back from this Achilles injury Let's just start there. Can, can we talk about Aaron Rodgers and this whole story arc that he is trying to put out there? The, the night is darkest before the dawn. He will rise again. Nora, do, do you believe that the rise is on the way?
2: He's so dramatic. Just such a He's dramatic, so dramatic. It's really funny. <laughs> so here's the deal. He had surgery with Dr. Neil Elitrash, who's a very well-known orthopedic surgeon in L.A., um, operated on Tom Brady, on Joe Burrow, on Kobe Bryant, on, you know. Major athlete needs a, a big deal surgery. They're often going to him. Um, and he did Rodgers' Achilles repair, and he used something that's called a speed bridge technique that he has pioneered. And he says that it can speed up uh, Achilles recovery. To as little as four months. Now there's not a lot of examples. Of it happening that fast. That is Mm -hmm. an insanely fast recovery. From Achilles surgery. Cam Akers. Recovered. To the point that he was able to be back on the field. Five and a half months. After. Having a similar injury to Rogers. Alatrash did his surgery. Did the same technique. Which basically. My understanding is that he creates kind of a bridge with sutures over the repair site in a way that protects it while the body's recovering. So normally you get an Achilles repair surgery. You have to be really careful for a long time because before you can start strengthening it, that tendon repair site has to be strong enough so that you're not going to re-injure it or re-tear it just by walking, Mm -hmm. moving around, whatever. Um, also I'm sorry, I don't have props this week. I saw Ian Rappaport on TV sort of talking about this and he had like, a, I know
1: I, I was hoping you're going to bring the sutures out and then he had and try a, to show he us had like an
2: ankle and I was like, Oh yeah, he
1: had a real tendon. Yeah. A live tendon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> he had Aaron Rodgers' foot. He cut it off. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Yes. Um, I don't have that. It's just, okay. So,
2: you know, I'm doing my best here.
1: Use your Here's brain. Use your imagination thing. folks. Yeah. Picture it.
2: Um, <laughs> Cam Akers was 22 when that happened. Yeah, right. Five and a half months would put Rodgers like Rodgers would have to beat that by half a month, basically, to be able to get back, even if it was just for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. He's 40.
1: Yeah, right. He's 16, 17 years older. Right. It's different.
2: Yeah. So I'm.
1: But he said never to doubt him. So, yeah, never doubt him. We may debunk his claims, but we can never doubt him because Aaron Rodgers lives in his own timeline. Well, I, think so the the I, think I think he's trying it, to reach the fifth dimension. I think he's trying to defy time. That That's what his plan is. He's.
2: We've, first, we have Time versus field. Time. Now we have Aaron versus Time. The thing that's Everyone's interesting time. to me about it is is Rodgers going to hold the Jets accountable? for being good enough to preserve the option for him to come back to a competitive team. Right. Because Mm. he's talking his whole game about, you know, the odds are stacked against me, but I like it. I'm going to do everything that I can to go through this rehab process and make it go as fast as possible. And I believe in this surgery and blah, 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 blah. And that's all well and good. And, and, you know, maybe it'll work out. There have absolutely been advancements in Achilles repair, it's not technology, but Achilles repair ability, mostly right. done by this this one surgeon. And so maybe Rogers will be the beneficiary of that. But that's ignoring a whole separate part of this conversation, which is that he is saying, then I will be able to come back for the playoffs. Jets have to make the playoffs for that to be right. possible. So what if, like, what if? Rogers does all of this and it goes well. And he rehabs and the surgery is brilliant. And he has the most amazing Achilles. Like, I want to do this in like Donald Trump voice. It's like, I have the best Achilles (laughs) and it's the best Achilles you've ever seen. And it's January and he's ready to play again. And the jets are a sub 500 team because they're quarterbacked by Zach Wilson. Like, how's that going to go? So I'll be watching. (laughs) And good luck. I think
1: we're, I think he's got our attention and that's really what, you know, he's supposed to do when he's in New York. So shout out to Aaron Rodgers. He did that quickly. uh, Nora, before I let you go, I have to ask this because this is the hottest question. I mean, this transcends sports, but it's happening in the NFL. How often do NFL coaches think about ancient Rome? Uh, How, how often do NFL coaches think about ancient Rome in your estimation? uh, Nora, do do you think this happens often?
2: Quite often. I think, I mean, men famously think about the Roman empire. I think NFL coaches think about the Roman Empire probably more than 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 the average adult male, which I'm told, based on my experience on the internet, is already pretty high. Belichick definitely <laughs> leading the pack.
1: Yeah, definitely number one. Always thinks about ancient Rome, especially like imperialist Rome, like what went wrong, right? I think that's that's what Bill Belichick's trying to figure out. He's like, Did Constantine splitting the empire actually lead <laughs> to the end of the empire? Um, and then he goes right back to watching lacrosse, right? I think that is that is uh, Bill Belichick's regular thought process.
2: <laughs> Tate, sounds like you spend some time thinking about the Roman Empire. I've,
1: I've, I've thought about Rome, yeah. I've, <laughs> you hate to see it. You hate to see it. It happens to the best of us. Um, Nora, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can we find all your amazing work?
2: Uh, let's see. TheRinger.com. Fabulous website. That's a good website. Right. wrote about Olivia Rodrigo with our colleague Justin Charity this week which was just a delightful experience we did a little like in conversation other than I that, that I am on the ringer NFL show feed with Steven Ruiz twice a week that's on goes up early Monday mornings and then Thursday afternoons I think of it as Sundays and Thursdays but really Monday mornings the time to check that out we've got the whole week recap and then you know I'm around I'm on Instagram <laughs> I'm on the streets of New York
1: Right. Come say hi. Come say hi to Nora. She'll be back on Through the Ringer uh, next Friday. We appreciate you coming on the show, Nora. And coming up, we have Ben Solak to break down why the Bears' offense is indeed so bad. Now, welcome in Ben Solak. You just saw Ben breaking down Puka Nakua on the play sheet.
3: Ben, it's great to have you back on Through the Ringer, man. Puka Nakua, man. He's the the big story. Justin Jefferson, step aside. New number one receiver in the league. Yeah, right. Let's update the fantasy football
1: rankings right now. Let's put Puka at number one. Let's start with Puka Nakua because he has stepped in, obviously, Cooper Cup on IR right now. Everyone was wondering, who Stafford going to throw the football to? Turns out it's a rookie, Puka Nakua. What did you see on film, and why is Puka Nakua getting so many targets from Stafford?
3: Yeah, the number one thing is just Stafford likes to throw it to him. Like Stafford trusts that he's going to be there. He's going to catch He's going to pay him off. The, the story of the Rams... Wide receiver room over the last few years, like over the course of the emergence of Cooper Cup, has been the fact that nobody else has been like on the field long enough, in a clear enough role, consistently <laughs> right. enough to like actually establish themselves. Right, you've had uh, uh, Tutu Atwell, who was a second round pick, who just was undersized and like, couldn't get on the field, and he was just like a field stretching deep threat every so often we get a shot, but he can't be like a consistent. Uh, you know, like every down receiver. He's actually had a nice start to the season as well in Cup's absence. You had Van Jefferson, who was a third round pick. Similar thing where like, good route runner, like good separation, but he would drop passes and then he would get hurt and you should never develop that rapport. They had Deshaun Jackson for a second. Ben Skarani started playing a fullback. Like they couldn't get anybody just like in one role where they do one thing and we can set our watch to it. And that way we don't have to throw it to just Cooper Cup and Tyler Higbee for the entire game. That's <laughs> right. what Puka is, right? He's not an unspectacular, he's not a spectacular athlete. He's not a uniquely good route runner, contested catch. He's just as quarterback friendly. And when you have a really talented quarterback in Matthew Stafford and a really talented play caller in Sean McVay, that's all you have to be. Just be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, make the plays you're supposed to make, and this offense will hum on its own.
1: Yeah, and I liked the, on the play sheet you were breaking down, like he's not the best route runner, right? He, you yeah. know, there's still some things where he's developing his game. So how much better can Puka get as he does develop? Because again, he still is a rookie.
3: Yeah, he can he can absolutely get better. And it's a lot of the... the the timing stuff that he's already getting thrown. It's just like the timing's not perfect. The location's not perfect. And it's stuff that you can very easily point to and say, we can clean this up successfully because you're going to be out there running 50 routes a game, right? Like you're going to get the the reps and get the targets, get the opportunities. The reason why it's important for Puka is because right now he runs a lot of short routes, right? He runs a lot of stuff underneath, zero to 10, zero to 12 yards. And that's where Cooper Cup runs a lot of his routes. They run different routes. Like Cup will be in the slot, Puka will be out wide, but still like it's a similar... Distributions. when Cup comes back, they're going to ask Puka to try to run a little bit more stuff down the field. You just have to, because Cup's already so good at what he does that with Puka, you want to see, okay, just how far can we push this? Like, what are you capable of? And the further downfield you get, the more precise those routes have to be. The more important is you can like break off a guy versus man coverage and so on and so forth. Uh, And so there's there's meat on the bone. Puka was the last pick in the fifth round for a reason. He was not a <laughs> super clean route runner in BYU that wasn't just going to go away in the NFL, but he now has the one critical thing, the golden goose, which is opportunity. He has like a chance to develop. Other fifth round picks at receiver aren't seeing the field. They aren't getting team one reps. So if they're bad at route running, they're going to stay bad at route running. Puka, I don't think anybody ever thought he'd be like an amazing route runner, but he has a chance now to level up at least a couple of levels. And if he has more of a downfield presence when Cup stays, uh, comes back... He's going to stay up like a big part of the offense. Like Puka's going to be target too, for sure.
1: Well, that was my follow up question. Can these two legends coexist? Can Cooper <laughs> Cup and Puka Nakua, two guys that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, became stars on their own, can they both be together? It sounds like you're saying yes, 100%, right?
3: Yeah. Uh, this is a passing league, right? It's not even. Uh, can these two stars coexist? It's how the Rams previously existed without a second receiver, right? Like that's the that's mm. what you need in the NFL to, to be successful. And the fact that they've been able to do so is a testament to McVay, Stafford, and to Cup. So Puka, absolutely, like they're going to want to retain him as, as a critical part of this offense. Now, if you get to a stage, like I said, where you're trying to throw all these slants and curls to Puka, because that's what he's dominating on. And you're trying to throw all these underneaths and all these crossers to Cup, because he dominates on. And you're not getting explosives, you're not getting field stretching. That's where you have to sit down and say, like, okay, we have to get 2-2 more involved. You have to open up stuff for him. Like, we have to find a way to get this ball down the field to balance out this offense. But that's an if and only if. That's like a week eight, week nine conversation where the offense evolves over time, defenses adjust. For the immediate future, if you put Cooper Cup on this field tomorrow, Puka wouldn't get 15 targets like he did in week one. He wouldn't get 20 targets like he did in week two. Like, those numbers <laughs> are going to go down no matter what. Um, but he would still succeed on the rounds he's succeeding on in the role that he currently is in. And it, it will be massively to the Rams passing offense benefit if he does.
1: One last thing on the Rams before we move on and talk about another mm-hmm. team, uh, which is a uh, teaser. It's going to be the Chicago Bears. You wrote a great piece on them. But uh, mm-hmm. Sean McVay, he comes out and he says he doesn't know it about the field goal. It was meaningless. All these sort of do do we buy it? <laughs> that, that's what I want to ask you Ben. before we move on. Do we buy Sean McVay? Had no idea.
3: If he were playing the Vikings, I would buy it. He's playing mm. Kyle Shanahan, his uh, old mentor, a division rival. And Kyle was like 7-1 and one against him in their last eight games. Absolutely he knew what the line coming into the game was. And absolutely <laughs> he wanted to cover because you can't beat him. At least you cover. And then right. you can say, okay, well, you know what? Maybe you're 7-1 and one against me, but we're getting there, all right? We're covering. We're, 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 we're making these closer than they should be. It's 100% a moral victory. He absolutely knew the line. It doesn't actually benefit him to cover, but he knew. And he wanted to get as many points on the board against Kyle Shannon as he could.
1: Well, he knows how TV works now. We're on FanDuel TV, so we're going to show his record against the spread, right? And now when we show McVay, that was actually a win for Sean McVay um, at the end of the day. That's big brain. That's galaxy brain moves. We love to see that. So shout out to Sean McVay. All right. I I tried to belabor it as much as possible because I know Bears fans don't want to hear it. But I have a simple question for you, and it was the prompt for the piece that you wrote. What's wrong with the Bears offense, Ben Solek?
3: Yeah. When I wrote that, I thought that was going to be the most important thing that happened to the Bears that day. It wasn't. (laughs) Uh, That's all right. Uh, The Bears offense has got so much wrong with it that it's really impossible to pick a point of, of Genesis, right? Like, all right, the issues start here, and then these are the ones that follow. I don't think you can play behind this offensive line successfully. I don't think you can have a really dynamic passing game with these wide receivers. I don't think this quarterback can execute an offense successfully at the NFL level right now. And I don't think this play caller can make anything out of the pieces that he's got. Hmm. What do you want to start? What do you want to start? Like we got everything, everything's wrong. Everything stinks. Uh, And so like short term, what should happen is the, the coaching staff should sit down and say, okay, Justin Fields doesn't really throw in breakers. He doesn't, like throwing stuff through his progression he's not good throwing gadget plays right now like he looks an open first read doesn't throw it we need to be a condensed team we need to be a run heavy team we need to get multiple tight ends in the field quarterback run option we gotta go for like full collegiate with this i they they've known that they need to do that for a while and they haven't done it right so if they want to just be successful in offense right now i think they would do that and they haven't done it so clearly they're trying to like evaluate what fields can be see if they can make him develop and if that's your goal Right? Like, okay, how much can he develop? Can he be our quarterback of the future? Then keep doing what you're doing. Like, keep doing the scheme stuff. But then you also have to acknowledge in the front office, like, we still haven't given this guy enough good players to be able to like actually evaluate him. like He can't play. This offensive line is all below average starters. They lose consistently on every real drop back. DJ Moore is a fine receiver, but he's not like a world ender. This isn't A.J. Brown mm. to the Eagles or Tyree Kill to the Dolphins. And Chase Claypool does not want to be playing football. He it just sits on the field and doesn't do anything. Uh, it's not. So you say, okay, we're trying to evaluate him. You can't do that either. You know, it's, it's not a fair evaluation of him in year three, which is a huge failure of the front office. So I don't know. What's wrong with the Bears offense? All of it. Do, ask me easier questions. That's too hard.
1: Yeah, simple answer is everything is wrong with the Bears offense, yeah. right? So that that's what we can say. Justin Fields comes out in his press conference. He says – uh, basically it's coaching. Uh, that's why he's been so robotic in the way that he plays, uh, cut to what, two hours later, he has a correction I Think he talked to his agent and they said, uh, maybe don't call out the coaching in the press conference. That's probably not the best idea. So where do we stand with Justin Fields and like, uh, where are we as far as like the franchise quarterback? Are we evaluating the position? Are we evaluating Justin Fields? What is the, uh, what's the leash right now on how far he can go as the franchise guy with the bears?
3: Yeah, so uh, a lot of those comments, they seemed oriented on the idea of, like, the coaching staff is trying to help me execute the offense, so they want me to behave this way in the pocket, they want me to stay and go through these progressions, and they also made comments about, like, getting a lot of information in his ear, which presumably is, like, he gets the play call, and then as he's walking to the line and the headset is still active, the play caller, right, the office coordinator, Luke Getzey, is still talking to him about stuff, like, hey, like, watch out, like, their safeties, like, they're lined up like this, like, you should be looking for that, and he doesn't want, like, all that additional kind of Sean McVay- hover uh, helicopter parent sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and like it's weird to be frustrated with that and to say it openly like I don't I really don't mind it too much like if Justin Fields got on the mic and was like it's cool how hunky-dory everything is we'd all be like no it's we can see you like this is bad you're angry that you have Mm -hmm. to be able to acknowledge when things aren't going well and the the comments that he made about coaching it's not good to have a soundbite where someone goes like what's wrong and you go coaching (laughs) But the comments that he made are are like legitimate. They're like, well, this is what we're working through. We're trying to figure out like how much should I be in the pocket versus how early should I leave? We're trying to figure out how much information we should get. Like there's a better way to frame it, but a lot of the ideas aren't wrong. And accordingly, like I might be so dumb, Tate, but I still think there's like something salvageable in Justin Fields. He makes two or three throws a game and two or three runs a game where you're like, this shouldn't be hard. Like just have him do this. Like, why can't we get this done? I don't think it's going to be with this. Uh, play calling staff I don't think it's going to be on this team uh, I don't think they have the talent and I don't think they have the interest in kind of running the offense that makes sense for him he's the sort of guy who I think can experience like a Marcus Mariota career arc where Mariota was like very clearly not it and then Arthur Smith got his hands on him and like kind of scraped together an offense with him mm-hmm. but then you know went and traded for Ryan Tanhill because there's kind of a ceiling on what you can do with Mariota but then Mariota went and like got the Falcons job he's one of the highest paid backups with the Eagles like Fields can be a guy who still has Tyrod Taylor like he can start and you can like do something he's probably just better to be a backup and kind of bounce around a little bit because the talent is is so good it's just the idea of the Bears suddenly turning the ship around and figuring it out I'm totally out on that I don't think the future for Justin Fields is with Chicago I think it's with a different team whether that's at this trade deadline next offseason or whenever it comes
1: yeah, and if you're just worried about the offensive side of the ball, their defensive coordinator also resigned. So uh, there is trouble yeah. uh, in Chicago right now. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about another quarterback that is trying to find his footing in New York.) <laughs> Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We are still here with Ben Solak. Ben, I have to ask the question. Everyone is asking this question. They're trying to figure out what the future looks like for the New York Jets. How comfortable should the Jets be with Zach Wilson right now as their QB1? Uh,
3: uh, briar Patch, Poison Ivy. What's the most uncomfortable <laughs> thing you got, Tate. Um, Zach Wilson, like last, I think we knew coming into last year, that Zach Wilson like wasn't super great. And we were hoping that he would develop, but he just wasn't playing quarterback very well and all right. But you go and you look and they have like Brees Hall and he's still healthy and they have a really good defense. And and the the framework on, on Wilson, this was all last season, changed to like, can you just stay out of the offense's way? Like, can you just execute and like give the ball to some playmakers? Like, don't make mistakes. And then we're going to win the back of our defense. We're going to win some low scoring games. And like, even that was an issue. Like a huge part mm-hmm. of Zach Wilson discourse last season was – Like just throw it away, Zach. Like they were like that was the goal. Was like, hey, just like stop taking sacks and interceptions for us. Just get us to second and ten, not second and seventeen, right? And that didn't work, right? Like like it's it's okay to not be great at quarterback if you can still just like be a guy you can win with. Like just be a. High floor guy, don't make mistakes, have the offense work. And Wilson struggles with that, right? He takes bad sacks, he throws bad interceptions. Uh, so you can't follow the model of like, all right, we're just going to win on our defense. We're going to win with Garrett Wilson being a star and Brees Hall being a star. That's not the case. So they said right after the Rodgers injury, like, hey, Zach Wilson's our guy, he's going to be our guy, but we're going to add a veteran into the room because we have to. I think that whatever veteran they add is going to pretty quickly like be better for the offense than Zach Wilson is. And I also think that that... They're, they're still going to look at the deadline, right? You're still going to look at Kirk Cousins in Minnesota and Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee and try to see, like, all right, is there an average to a slightly above average starter that we can get in here and we can actually make a playoff push and kind of salvage this season? Because Robert Saleh has been there for three years. Joe Douglas, the GM, has been there for five years. They have not mm. made the playoffs. They haven't been finished better than third in the division, and they did that once. The other times were fourth. Like, you can't... It's unfortunate because I think Joe Douglas has stuff that he does really well, and so does Robert Sala. But this is the NFL, not for long. This is a short leash, and and no mitigating circumstances, no Rogers injury changes that. And so I think they, they absolutely – I think they're going to bring in a veteran, and they're going to look at making even a more meaningful, a higher magnitude switch by the deadline. What happens if they were to make a trade, like
1: you said? Let's say they trade for Kirk Cousins, and they bring Cousins in, and he's kind of like the mercenary quarterback for the year. Does Rodgers, does he okay that deal? Is, is he good with that? Or is there a world in which Rodgers takes some
3: umbrage to the fact that they brought in another quarterback? I'm sure Rodgers will take some umbrage with it, but you got to <laughs> sit down and say, listen, I got to win a game or I might lose my job. Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, like, right. you We're know, I'm, now, I'm at I'm in the end of my rope. Uh, Rodgers also has decided that he's going to return from an Achilles injury in like five months, which... Mm-hmm. I understand it's possible, right? Cam Akers did a, a really fast Achilles turnaround a couple years ago. Cam Akers was like a 23-year-old. Rodgers is 40. I feel a little bit worse about Rodgers pulling it off. Right. Uh, so like you, you, you might end up in a squirrely spot where like you are in the playoffs and Rodgers is trying to come back and play, and like that ends up being a mess. But I, I don't see how you can have this defense so wonderfully constructed so beautifully done such a talented group for another year and say all right we're we're, we're tossing this year in the garbage we'll, we'll get them next year because you ain't getting younger Quinn and Williams ain't getting cheaper Sauce Gardner ain't getting cheaper right all your your existing veteran talent your Solomon Thomas your John Franklin Myers your CJ Mosley like these are important players and they're getting older you you have to hit windows like the, the lesson from the Chris Ballard Colts You have to hit windows when you have them. You can't just play a a carousel quarterback and hope to eventually hit. You got to go for it. Uh, And so I think like Rodgers might take umbrage with it, but you still, you you have to look into it.
1: All right, there you have it. Thanks to Nora. Thanks to Ben for coming on Through the Ringer. We will be back with Cousin Sal after Monday Night Football airing Tuesday morning, and we'll see you then on Through the Ringer.